When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week, I'm going to be sharing with you a recording that I made at the recent GS1 Connect show that was in Denver. I spoke to an industry expert in the area of food supply chains, Bill Ritzy from Farm to Plate. And we talked about the way that you pass data up and down the supply chain. It's amazing. When this uh, podcast first started, we were very focused on Bluetooth beacon technology. Um, but as we seek to build our knowledge and ability to uh, connect the digital and physical world, it all comes down to data and how you pass it around and how you join it up. And Bill Ritzy is a veteran of food companies and uh, gives us some really interesting insights into how do you join up the members of the supply chain and pass all the data that we need to implement these applications that are going to drive the purchase of ambient IoT systems. So I um, hope you enjoy uh, this uh, discussion with Bill. It's a little bit noisy in the background. It actually is at the conference, but we've got the good mics out. So hopefully you'll uh, be able to tune out the background and uh, enjoy the conversation as I did. The Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT podcast is sponsored by Williot bringing intelligence to every single thing. So, Bill, thanks very much for being on the show. Steve, thank you very much for asking. So we're here in Denver. Uh, we're at the amazing Gaylord Resort, uh, and uh, it's GS1 Connect. Um, a lot of data professionals. Um, and on this show, we've traditionally focused a lot on technology, but that Technology is worth nothing if we can't um, unlock the data. And one of the things that I've been, you know, as we've been students of this emerging ambient IoT, where we start to connect more things with carriers that put them online, um, you kind of look at, well, what are the barriers to this scaling? And one of the key barriers is the exchange of data between players in the supply chain. Now, um, you work at a company called Farm to Plate, uh, and you're, it seems to me that what you're doing is helping to uh, join up a lot of these companies, exchange the data. So I'm 
very pleased that you've agreed to be on the show. Certainly. Um, what is your role in, uh, in the company? I am the senior director of strategy. And, and, and give us the elevator pitch. What does Farm <laughs> to Plate do? Elevator pitch. We are a combination of food industry and technical people that have developed a transactional platform that gathers data, that standardizes the data into the GS1 formats, mm -hmm. and creates a digital pipeline from producer to consumer. Okay. That's what we do. So, and it's not a direct, is it a direct link or what's the architecture of this and who are your customers? Your, presumably you, that's, that's the question. Who sure. are your customers? Sure. Well, let's talk about the architecture first. Yeah. The supply chain obviously is made up of, of different companies who, where the product starts off at a harvester or producer. Yeah goes to a manufacturer, to a distributor wholesaler, then a grocer or restaurant. Mm -hmm. There is a new rule put out by the FDA, their FISMA group rule 204, mm -hmm. that targets some high risk food categories. When I say high risk for foodborne illness, ailments, mm -hmm. et cetera targets those categories and says by January 2026, there has to be a digital link all through the supply chain mm -hmm. so that if there is an issue, FDA can get the data that they need within 24 hours and in a digital format. Mm -hmm. So as you pointed out, the connectivity of all of these players. You have 16,000 manufacturers, or 35,000 manufacturers, 16,000 distributors, 18,000 uh, wholesalers, mm -hmm. a million restaurants, mm -hmm. half a million grocers. So thinking that all these have to connect is a monumental challenge for everyone. Mm -hmm. What we do as Farm to Plate is we go to each company and say, We'll take data from your existing ERP system. We'll standardize it in the GS1 formats. Mm -hmm. By doing that with each company, we create a common language mm -hmm. across the supply chain. We make it easy to digitally collect, augment, and transfer this data from one end to the other. Mm -hmm. That is the challenge that the industry faces, is getting those connections put together. But one of the things we do, if a manufacturer decides to get on our program for a distributor customer, he gets connected, his data is standardized. He will probably find that on our platform are dozens of other distributor customers that he does business with. Mm -hmm. Now he has an instant data connection. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to map directly with them. It's done through our platform. And your platform doesn't just service the requirement to meet FISMA, does it? It goes beyond that. And it predates the final rule, right? R right. Yeah. Um, what we've realized, and this may be because of my background and, and the design of the program, uh, in working with Paramount Software Solutions, which is the company that founded Farm to Plate, mm -hmm. 
we've worked food industry up as opposed to tech down. Right. Because of that, we have a broader view of what this pipeline can do and mm -hmm. contain. It not only connects the producer to the consumer, it connects the consumer to the producer. Mm -hmm. So it gives the opportunity of not just product data, but marketing data, mm -hmm. brand statements, uh, information differentiating product from the competition, mm -hmm. putting the consumer at the point of purchase in a position to be more educated mm -hmm. about what they're facing, the choices that they're facing in the marketplace. So it's, it seems like a hugely ambitious endeavor. Um, how far have you got with joining all of those players up? Uh, have you gone end to end? Are you literally uh, providing data to consumers or is it mainly around uh, uh, an earlier stage in that okay. supply chain? Very good question. Um, my background is mostly in the food service end of business. The total food business in the U.S. is about a $2 trillion business, almost equally divided between retail grocery and food service, which would be restaurants, any meal prepared and presented. Wow, we eat out a lot as yes. a nation. Yes, we do. <laughs> I bet if you went to other countries, <laughs> the restaurant side would be smaller, but it's America. We're, it is, yeah. it is. And uh, eating out has become part of our culture and part of our way of life. Yeah. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But reaching the food service consumer, when you're presented a plate of food, there's, there's no little tag on the chicken that says produced by so-and-so. Right. You're given a meal. Having this big a marketplace, trillion dollar market, to be unreachable by the manufacturer to the consumer has always been a challenge. Yes. Because of my growth in the food service, and that's where we've been focused to this point. So the manufacturers, the distributors, the restaurants, we're partnering right now with a company that is very large in the automated ordering process mm -hmm. for restaurants mm -hmm. where you go in there's either a kiosk that you order from mm -hmm. or there's uh some type of device on the tabletop that you go through and it has a menu and you order mm -hmm. from but what we've done is we've said okay this digital pipeline the communication of data is done in a 2d format qr code mm -hmm. so that goes through the pipeline when it's sold to the restaurant, the restaurant can take a picture of it and automatically put it on their digital menu that's showing up in this automated ordering process. So the consumer at a restaurant, if they look and they say, wow, chicken Kiev, mm -hmm. that sounds good. They can click on that QR code and it'll give them a short amount more of information. Right about that product. So this is building on the, uh, the calorie information and, and that sort of thing, uh, which uh, some we've expected to see from the, these large chains. What sort of information, so is this 
a concept that you're promoting or is it live now? How far have you got in, in, in this vision? Where it's operational mm -hmm. if this goes through with this kiosk okay. company that we're talking about, right. it'll be in place. Right. Okay. okay. But it goes, as you said, nutritional information, things like that. We want to engage the consumer. Yeah. That's where I talk about brand messaging, where I talk about uh, uh, going beyond just here is the data of the product. Right. Consumers today, whether it be retail or food service, want to know more and more about the food choices they make. Well, over in the, in the EU, EU, there's legislation that is requiring proof that food doesn't come from um, Amazonian uh, <laughs> rainforest that's Correct. been clear cut to, 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 to farm beef. So, you know, presumably this, uh, we don't have that law here in the States where you operate, but this is part of the trend of people wanting to understand provenance, understanding the source. And I, I'm think of this uh, there's a very funny satirical show called Portlandia it's a take on the liberal uh, Portland culture I actually used to live there so I find it very funny and there's a scene in a restaurant where uh, um, the um, the customers are basically asking for the name of the chicken they're about to eat and what were its hobbies and where did it live and so this is like I'm trying to not kind of delve into that but what kind of information are we talking about i can imagine it could be you know uh, whether the um what the conditions are of the animals some people want to make sure that they're eating food where the animal's been killed humanely and uh, there's potentially carbon footprint uh, organic or you know many uh, renewable farming sources uh, renewable farming could be a way of us eating our way out of the climate crisis by uh, buying food from farms that are Certainly. putting carbon into the ground rather than tilling the soil up and exposing it. Is that the kind of information that you're talking about or something else? It's the kind, and frankly, it depends on the manufacturer. Yeah. There are some manufacturers, they manufacture commodity products. They're not going to give a whole lot of information. But if you're choosing a product because it is organic mm -hmm. or it was produced at this location or it was treated in this way, mm -hmm. consumers, it's the old trust but verify. Yeah. They hear the marketing message, but they want to see. Yeah. They want it proven. We can do that. Well, I think this is good work because, you know, this is a way of driving the industry in the right direction. If uh, consumers, who, if they really care, if they're willing to put their money where their mouth is, then they can drive change in the way food is produced, which is a huge industry with massive environmental impact and uh, you know, many other ethical considerations. So I think it's, uh, if you can succeed in, in joining this up, then um, that's good. I, I'm assuming this is not the, where the bulk of your revenue is coming from today though. The revenue comes in from the manufacturers, actually the whole supply chain. Um, the reason I'm grinning is because there have been several attempts of putting what are called track and trace solutions into the food industry. Those have been geared to larger organizations and have been very expensive. Mm -hmm. 
The food industry is very fragmented. It includes small niche companies as well as very large organizations. Even those small niche companies are part of that supply chain. So any solution that comes in has got to be affordable mm -hmm. for all of the players, not just the big, the big players. Yeah. So we've structured our program to the point that we are affordable to especially small and medium businesses. Mm -hmm. We believe that once we're broadly out in that category, the big business will come. And how do you charge for what you do? Actually, it's very simple. We charge an onboarding fee, mm -hmm. and then we charge a monthly subscription fee. And that subscription fee is, what are the dimensions to that? It's very simple. It's a monthly subscription fee. So it's a fixed fee. Fixed it doesn't matter fee. if you have one product or 10,000. It's a fixed uh, fee. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, so what are the... So we've talked about uh, provenance, uh, exposing that to the consumer. You touched on, on FISMA. Um, can you explain a little bit about how your solution helps with FISMA? We've, on the podcast, we had an interview with Ed Tracy from uh, IFPA, yep. International Fresh Produce Association. He explained what FISMA is. Um, so let's build on that and just uh, explain how, you know, there's this concept of key data elements, the traceability lock code, the, uh, uh, some date stamps. Um, how, what's your role in passing that information up and down? First, FISMA was formed to bring the food industry and the monitoring of food industry products into the modern era. Mm -hmm. It wasn't before before FISMA. So the idea of Rule 204 in digitally connecting the partners creates a singular platform that not just these particular products can be monitored, but all products eventually. Because there's be a food traceability list and it has just a subset of, the, uh, of, of food products. The, there's no meat, there's no milk, uh, hard cheese isn't on there, soft cheese is. Right. Uh, a lot of leafy vegetables are. And so I think what I'm hearing you say is, yeah, to meet FISMA, this, this list may change, by the way, over time. But to meet FISMA, you need to track and trace th this. But if you're doing the integration, then why not get the benefits of linking yourself up with other stakeholders in the supply chain? Absolutely. What are those other benefits? Companies are always trying to be more efficient. They're mm -hmm. trying to be more cost effective. What they've done is a good job of looking for and gathering data within their company and mining that data for opportunities to be more efficient and more effective. They've been doing that for some time now, so the continuance of that has diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. Now, companies are realizing that they're part of a supply chain, that whole supply chain impacts the cost of the consumer. Mm -hmm. You can be the low-cost manufacturer, but if you're part of a high-cost supply chain, that's minimum. The impact of that is minimum. Mm -hmm. So what this digital connection does is it reveals 
transaction sets and allows the supply chain to work together in minimizing those transaction costs. COVID. When COVID hit in the U.S., it had a dramatic effect on the food industry because the half of that marketplace in restaurants disappeared. Mm -hmm. Everybody went to grocery stores to buy their products. Grocery stores were running out a product. Mm -hmm. The challenge wasn't that we had no food. Mm -hmm. The challenge was the food was packaged in food service containers mm -hmm. as opposed to retail containers. Mm -hmm. There was food that was not properly put in a position to be consumed because no one had the full visibility of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. These types of digital connections allows the supply chain to act in situations like that in concurrence mm -hmm. as opposed to having limited visibility to just what they do. But what do you do about some of the players in the supply chain are proprietary about their data and they don't want to share it? How do you um, address that? Actually, that's one of the big reasons for our existence. They don't want to trade data directly with other people because of that proprietary notion. We're an independent third party. Okay. Basically, we have no skin in the game when yeah. it comes to d distributor, manufacturer, we're operating under a platform that allows permissioned access mm -hmm. to data. So we can bring in the data, we can determine and parse out who sees what, what's communicated to who, mm -hmm. and not reveal that proprietary information. And is that, you know, can different players turn on and off the visibility of these attributes or? What we would do is we would, in our partnership with them, we'd be very specific about their requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, we would not want them to go in and have the ability themselves to turn off and on because we are talking about a complete supply chain. Mm -hmm. This allows, us being in the picture, allows for certain... Uh, data to change hands that is, uh, I'm, I'm lost for the words to use, but let's take uh, private label products. Mm -hmm. If a grocer has a product under their brand, mm -hmm. they don't really want the world to know where it actually comes from, where it actually comes from. Right. We can go in working with the manufacturer we can collect all of the product data, send it through the supply chain to meet the Rule 204 constraints, but not reveal who the manufacturer is. Right. So, in effect, we're the um, gatekeeper mm -hmm. of that information and that data in partnership with the companies that we're working with. Okay. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, 
Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And so before 204 and before, um, you know, this uh, nirvana of, uh, of, <laughs> uh, of the QR code that tells you the source of the food, what were the main, um, you know, where did you start to see momentum first? Where, you know, can you talk about uh, uh, your customers at all to give people a sense of uh, how established your business is? Well, let me approach it this way. Mm-hmm. If you think of a pyramid, what I started seeing was there were different elements that were coming together, that were peaking at mm-hmm. the same time. Mm-hmm. Technology was bringing advances that allowed for a lot of this manipulation of data and sharing of data, cloaking of data, if you will, mm-hmm. that hadn't been there before. Mm. There were food regulations that hadn't been there before. Mm-hmm. There's consumer demand wanting more information about their food product that was getting increasingly uh, important. Mm -hmm. And right now, we're in a situation in the food industry, we can't find enough workers. So from a business aspect, they're looking to be more efficient. They're looking to say, how can technology help us eliminate the need for certain positions because we can't fill them. Mm -hmm. So I saw this coming together Mm -hmm. of this and we created this platform. Um, We have worked with several companies who shall remain nameless right now, but uh, to a point that we feel very confident that we're in a very good space. If this kiosk thing goes mm-hmm. through, that's going to be uh, quite the uh, quite the event. But we realize we're in an industry that historically has been very slow to adopt technology. Mm-hmm. They are encountering issues with workers, and their focus is on different things. We realize this is going to be a little bit of an uphill road. But we feel good. The message about Rule 204, which does affect everyone in the food supply chain, yes, the actual enforcement date is January 2026. Here at this conference and talking with other companies that are providers such as we are, we all agree that if people wait till 2025 to talk to us, We'll already have hundreds of people that we're working with. We won't have the resources Mm -hmm. 
to provide them what they need. Yeah. So we're encouraging people, please act now. Yeah. To get these things set up, these connections, and this end-to-end. So we're at the GS1 conference. Which of the GS1 standards are you using to achieve all this? Which ones aren't we using? Yeah. <laughs> um, everything from the, the G10s to the LG10s to the uh, SSC code, pretty much everything you can tag onto a product mm-hmm. and identify from an individual piece mm-hmm. to the case, to the pallet, mm-hmm. to the shipment, mm-hmm. our system recognizes, especially at the start of the supply chain, mm-hmm. onboard ships in the farm, they can be technically challenged. We've developed a mobile app that allows them to use the cameras to record what they need to to start this process. Mm -hmm. Our system will actually generate the 2D codes, the QR codes, Mm -hmm. that allow the product to be tracked through the supply chain. It actually Mm -hmm. generates the SG-10. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to help as much as we can. Mm -hmm. This conference was great because it allowed me to set up relationships with people that provide printing solutions, provide labeling solutions. Mm -hmm. That isn't our expertise. Mm -hmm. So it's allowed us to create a uh, group of people that can help the the customer. Very good. And and what about EPCIS? Are you using that or, or not? Not as yet. Right. But that certainly is what we're looking towards. Okay. And then uh, for someone that kind of is just coming into this and saying, well, this sounds a bit like EDI. It obviously isn't EDI, but can you compare and contrast? Absolutely. EDI is a standardized set of communication documents, if you will, in a batchment mm-hmm. that has been good up to the point of that technology. What we're seeing now, EDI required the individual mapping of one, one customer to another receiver and a, mm-hmm. and a sender. We've got to go beyond that. We can't do that individual mapping anymore. We have to speak a common language. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to go in and transfer not just the data that EDI says, but those consumer messages as well. Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to react as a supply chain, Mm -hmm. as opposed to individual companies. Mm -hmm. EDI doesn't allow anything like that. Right. So we're taking the next step in the evolutionary process, Mm -hmm. if you will, and it promises huge benefits for everybody involved in the supply chain. Very good. Yeah, I think this is important work. Uh, the, uh, you know, food is at the center of our existence and visibility of the supply chain can yield so many benefits, whether it's uh, economic benefits, cost reduction, uh, better safety, uh, um, you know, regeneration of, uh, of, of the, uh, the climate. Um, and so I'm glad that you're 
doing your bit to, uh, to, to realize the potential of greater visibility on the supply chain? Well, there, there's, there's a responsibility that goes with it because of the importance of it. Food is a part of any culture. And what we do when we go in, we don't try to change the culture. Mm -hmm. What we say is, let's make the culture a little more efficient. Mm -hmm. uh, we have offices in the Middle East. We have offices in India. We've dealt with doing this in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And we're very sensitive to that, that, mm -hmm. that we don't go in and say, we're going to change you. Mm -hmm. No, we want to be part of that culture. Mm -hmm and augment it any way that we can. Very good. Bill, thanks very much. Next section, we'll talk a bit about your career, and, uh, but thanks for uh, introducing us to uh, Farm to Plate. Steve, I really appreciate it. Your questions are great, and uh, it, it helps when you talk things through and go through. It's very, very, very good for me as well. So, Bill, you've got a pretty interesting job, how did you end up in this place where uh, I, I, I'm often, I find one of the most interesting parts of these conversations is the career advice and uh, what if, what could it have been like? So how did you end up at Farm to Plate doing the, the, the job that you did? Absolutely. Um, I'm actually third generation food business. My father ran a seafood company. My grandfather ran a large wholesale place in Nova Scotia. And... When I went to college, I wanted to be in anything but the food business. Huh. So my degree was in quantitative analysis and computer science. So I came out, and the first thing that happened was a food company got in touch with me. Really? <laughs> yeah, and said, uh, gee, we'd, uh, we'd like you to come in and be our customer service manager. Mm -hmm. So that started uh, uh, the whole... 40 years plus in the, in the food business. Wonderful thing about the food business is the people. And once you get into it, you create those connections yeah. and it becomes your family. Yeah. yeah. So you, but you've actually, we, we were talking yesterday and it seems like, you know, you started up a business and that was part of the formative experience that kind of help to mold the ideas that you've taken into this one? Absolutely. Um, in working for food manufacturers and distributors, I was able to see the challenges that they have in transactional business. And I was in a position where I was able to formulate a company that removed some of those challenges for both manufacturers and customers and I focused it around the cheese industry. So naturally, Wisconsin was where I decided to go. So you started off with cheese and then you went to Wisconsin. It wasn't the other way around. Uh, actually, it was at the same time. Oh, okay. When uh, uh, the idea was to help move inventory for, for companies and cheese being a perishable item yeah. with a short shelf life, that was the area to attack none of us had the courage to attack the meat industry. So we said, let's go after cheese. Meat's scary? Meat's very scary. Oh, very scary. The what? fluctuations in pricing. Oh, okay. Is, is instantaneous and very direct. Uh, whereas cheese, normally it's on a weekly okay. basis. And, and so what was the problem that your business was solving? 
a very fragmented uh, manufacturing base that was reaching a very fragmented customer base. Mm -hmm. I found that all these manufacturers were selling to the same customers. These customers were all buying from the same manufacturers, but everybody was doing it separately. Mm -hmm. So there, were, there was redundancy in the cost of, of the order itself and mm -hmm. getting it filled. Very much an issue with freight costs mm -hmm. because these were smaller orders. Mm -hmm. I was able to consolidate from both sides, buying the product from the manufacturers, selling it bundled yes. to the customer. Yeah. So in doing that, I was actually saving money for both. So it was kind of a unique situation. And it seemed like you developed a pretty cool system to manage the cash flow to everyone that was I kind of underpinned this business model. And on the show, we tend to focus on technology, but I think like financial architecture is its own thing. What was, can you kind of briefly describe how you address that? Yeah, I started out with... Um, and it, it, what's the phrase? It's better to be lucky than good, right? Yeah. I started out with a realization that the terms to the manufacturers were longer than the terms that the customers were used to paying, okay? So I was getting paid by my customers before I had to pay the manufacturers. Uh -huh. That's when it started. After, and so who was your customer? Your customer was the retailer. Retailer, food service distributors, uh, more wholesalers yeah. than retailers. Oh, okay. Okay, the wholesalers were servicing. Yeah. And they had the same problem of the consolidation, mm -hmm. right? So we started off and ended up with very quickly a positive cash flow. Mm -hmm. At that point, I went to the manufacturers and I said, what if I paid you faster mm -hmm. than your terms? Mm -hmm. And they agreed to substantial increases in their discount terms if I paid them faster. Very cool. So that ended up building up a lot more cash. Yes. And it was a self-perpetuating type of situation. Very good. So you kind of earned your way into the supply chain for a couple of reasons. There was the economies of scale on distribution, and then you were kind of doing some financial engineering to improve the cash flow. And increase your margins at the same time. One of the biggest things it did too for these manufacturers, it gave them breadth of reach mm -hmm. because I was dealing nationwide. Okay. So where they may not have been able to sell a customer in Texas. Yeah. Now they could do that economically through us. Very cool. So it was quite the expansion of business very quickly. Yeah. And so you've sold that business? Sold the business off. Well, I was in partnership with a couple other people. Uh, my wife would say I'm a builder, not a maintainer. Mm -hmm. So it reached a successful level. We were doing about uh, a million pounds of cheese product a week. And you get to a point where you have the slow curve yeah. coming in. So divested myself of that. And went and worked for a company called Treehouse Foods. We spun a division off from Dean Foods, went through a lot of acquisitions, and uh, that was a much bigger company. We ended up as a $6 billion business there. So uh, I got my to be involved through these acquisitions with a lot of different platforms, 
digital platforms, a lot of different go-to-market strategies, mm -hmm. a lot of different ideas from all these customers. So I mm -hmm. was able to glean many things mm -hmm. from these relationships and looking at these businesses. Very good. Well, we've come to the time in the show when I ask uh, all our guests for three songs that are memorable to them and why. Have you come up with those? Three? I have. The first song would be Let It Be from the Beatles. Okay. And that was when I was in my junior high, getting into high school years, and um, was a, a, I played a lot of basketball and wanted to lead in everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, my parents were always saying, Take it a little easy. Mm -hmm. Take it a little easy. And this song, Let It Be, kind of resonated with me. It said, hey, just be you. Yeah. And if you're you, everything will be fine. All right. And was it? It was. Very good. It was. Well, that's a good one. Uh, what's number two? Number two would be um, a song by Aerosmith. And I have to, I apologize, look at my notes. That's Okay. Um, wherever they might be. I think it's the first time we've had Aerosmith on the show. It's oh, nice. is it? Yeah. Well, one of the things about me, I'm kind of a, a rocker. So, uh, do you uh, play? Oh. No, my son does. All right. And does very, there we go. And does very good. Dream On. Okay. Very good. Aerosmith. Yeah. Uh, that was my high school. And I got the ability through. Number one, I moved when I was 15 from Maine to Tampa, to Florida, to yeah. Tampa. I went from a very small high school to a very large high school. And while that was a little intimidating, it was also eye-opening to possibilities. Mm -hmm. And through basketball, I was able to expand my horizons, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. and dream bigger. And the song Dream On just kind of hit me. It's like, don't stop dreaming. Keep And what, dreaming. And what were the dreams of? Uh, 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 getting uh, sports achievements or, or broader things? Much broader things. All right. um, I am a, uh, a constant student. Mm -hmm. I love to learn. Yeah. I love to learn about things. And the exposure to different things as I traveled and, and went around, the 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 idea of there is so much out there to learn mm -hmm. and there's so much out there to be aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still, I love traveling. I've been able to travel all over the world and love meeting people from other cultures, listening to their story mm. and learning from that. Very good. And final song. And I guarantee that you haven't had this one on. Ozzy Osbourne. No More Tears. Uh, you're right. I have not had Ozzy Osbourne No More Tears on the show. <laughs> this was right when I was moving to Wisconsin uh -huh. and starting this company. Huh. I had been very frustrated because I had all these ideas, but the businesses that I'd been involved with were not moving as fast as my ideas were. Mm -hmm. So I was frustrated. 
And it was something that really I felt constrained. Moving to Wisconsin, I had the opportunity to fly or fall and to decide, are these ideas that I have really valid? Are mm -hmm. they really this vision I have of the industry? Mm -hmm. Is it really worthwhile? So I said to myself, don't look back. No more tears of what went on before. Mm -hmm. Look ahead. Be positive about what's ahead. Very good. Well, Bill, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for being on the show. Steve, I really appreciate you asking me. Thank you very much. So that was my conversation with Bill. Um, he's a real character, uh, full of great knowledge. Um, so thanks for, for tuning in. Hope you'll tune in uh, next time. And I want to uh, end by thanking Aaron Hammack, who is the guy that does the hard work in uh, editing and uh, producing this, uh, this content. And of course, I want to thank you for listening. If you have been uh, persevering through one of the, uh, the channels that has adverts, um, if it makes you feel any better, for the time that I'm working here at Williot, which I hope is a long time, uh, then 100% of the ad revenue goes to the Monarch School for, um, for kids uh, who are homeless here in San Diego. It's an amazing cause. And um, uh, so all that listening to adverts pays off and it goes uh, into uh, uh, the coffers of, of a tremendous uh, non-profit there. So thanks again. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.